It's a, it's a great pleasure to be here today, and thank you very much for inviting me um, on this uh, very important day. Um, I'm going to uh, be stick to the time. If you can please remind me five minutes sure. before uh, the session is should finish. So, um, as, as you know, I'm Tushari. Uh, I I have uh, uh, specially um, come here to talk about a kind of an experimental research. Um, which I used to uh, engage in using autoethnographic and, and a different style, different type of analysis. So um, I would very much appreciate your um, feedback and questions when, when the time comes. So just very quickly uh, to tell uh, something about myself and why I'm doing this kind of research is important, I think. I came to UK about 16 years ago as a student, international student, and then I had I think about one and a half year old child um, and I told my family and my husband didn't have a job, he is a lawyer back home, so all these kind of politics, uh, family politics, it was very difficult. However, um, as, as Chris mentioned, there are pros and cons in, in kind of, because we make a choice. So making a choice and then crying about the choice is sometimes not the best thing. So I have kind of survived. Uh, this journey in, in different institutions uh, as, as a senior research fellow and as an academic uh, over the years and as well as a PhD student. So what I have done is when things happen, even when I, I was a PhD student, I started writing about kind of critical uh, incidents that happened and I have uh, collected a whole lot of stories by now. Even now I continue doing that, not every day now actually, but when something happens which I think talks to my emotions, talks to my intellectual uh, being. I write them down. So this is how this uh, autoethnography came into being. When somebody invited me to write a book chapter, I thought, ah, this is the time where I can make use of my stories in a different way. So this is a, a very quick background to what I'm going to talk today. So this is a brief overview about what I'm going to talk. Um, so it's about migrant uh, women academics uh, and the research uh, context which is emerging. And also I have to tell you that I'm not actually an expert in gender. My area of research is internationalization and international student experience and teaching and learning internationalization of curriculum and pedagogy. So I use autoethnographic narrative approach and the insights I'm, I'm I'm really interested in trying to use the insights I have gained from this particular research piece and, and see how we can relate that to uh, gendered, racialized UK higher education and to get some new ideas. Because over and over again I have been, uh, except for uh, authors like Kim, she, her writing I really enjoy because it, it provides me with a different um, overview about academics who, who are mobile. So there are few writers who look at life, life and their life in a very different way. Uh, otherwise, it's very similar. It, they always try, try to talk about how different academics are, how they struggle when they come here. Um, and I think that is a different approach which I do not like to take in my uh, research. So I, I try to analyze um, the extant literature and this is the kind of picture I got. So for example, when they are 
talking about migrant academics, whether women or um, not. They think there are three key areas, like the individual is important, and their role as academics or PhD students uh, is important, and the institutional culture. So what happens is, whether through induction, through informal uh, kind of CPD or whatever, the individual and the role and the institutional culture will be um, made uh, available for that individual. That, that is uh, an approach to adjusting the person who, who has come to a particular uh, new learning teaching context. Right? And then uh, the second aspect is institutional socialization plus the family and other issues like finding accommodation, finding schools for kids. So when these two aspects are all right, they, they believe, they seem to believe that the adjustment process is done. So it's a very mechanical way of thinking about how people uh, cross borders uh, with families or without families and then, uh, you know, survive. So the adjustment itself is the key word in most of the majority of the research articles um, and book chapters I have read. So I, I just mapped it out in this way. You may find uh, it uh, dip differently through your own reading, but this is what I thought uh, I have come across. In my analysis, I was thinking about, okay, now this is the picture, roughly. So I would like to do a different thing with my rich stories. What I did was thinking about, okay, what is missing here? And it is very interesting when people, when authors from U.S. and Australia to a certain extent, when they write about academic women especially, their writing is not apolitical. In Britain, it's, it's, it was very interesting for me. Most of the writers I have said, you know, our lives are not colored by culture, not colored by politics, not colored by institutional politics, nothing. We just come here. We are human beings, individuals, academics. Our only struggle is just to get used to how UK is doing teaching and learning, how UK is doing culture. So it's very kind of one-way uh, story. And I thought we should interrogate this. We, we have, uh, it is not in oh, only post-colonial. Some, some writing shows they, they are thinking about post-colonial. -post now all these things have happened. They are history. Now we live in a very uh, happy-go-lucky kind of a world. So that was the kind of picture I, I got. Therefore, I was thinking about autoethnographic narratives, autoethnography again to um, repeat what I mean by this is my own stories, but they, they are different from biographies. Here what I did was every time I, I wrote something, I went back to that, and especially if, uh, in the exercise of writing this book chapter during the uh, last year, one and a half years time, I revisited a couple of times the same chunk of uh, stories. Um, I, I divided them into different time periods and then revisited them as uh, meaningful uh, chunks of stories. And it was very interesting. I thought every time I reflect, every time I go back, different perspectives emerged. Not all the time, most of the time. Um, and I, I thought, okay, I will make use of this reflection on reflection as my uh, method of analysis. And that worked really well, and I would really like to get your uh, feedback on that, whether you think it is 
helpful for When we are talking about different methodologies, especially when we are talking about women, my perception is that there should be methods that are different from those so-called objective uh, masculine ways of uh, exploring the world, especially I am talking about myself. So the self can be explored, self can be told in a different uh, uh, approach. You cannot distance yourself from yourself and talk about yourself. That is the key. Uh, reason why I use this particular um, uh, method. So it, it was really epiphany. It, it was revealing to me uh, and also disruptive. The most important um, exercise, uh, outcome of this exercise was it, it made me really heavy. I felt uh, it's really difficult sometimes and thinking, going back to uh, the, the stories I have written, I felt really difficult. It, it, I, I call it kind of ontological disruption. And it affected my teaching as well, and, and my life in, in general. So it was very interesting to see. Now, years after writing something, you come back to the writing, and you get different understandings. But when we are thinking about autoethnography, there are so many um, methodological issues. There have been lots and lots written about this as a very weak method. This has something, you know, you know what right have we, have somebody, has somebody got? to tell about herself, you know, as if uh, her telling is the exact telling. So this is a key um, argument against using autoethnography as a successful, effective way of telling yourself. So what I did was I used deconstructing um, approach um, uh, that, that is mainly discussed by um, Then in 2014, he discusses about it in 2010, he wrote, wrote about it. Um, what we mean by deconstructive autoethnography is you just distance a little bit from your narration. And that is the reflection on reflection. And, and then I also use critical reflection. I interrogate all the time, question myself, question the perceptions. And I will give you an example where I uh, engaged in this and the outcome of it. Um, and it, it was kind of a performance, actually, rather than just uh, uh, taking some interviews and analyzing, OK, now person A said this, and these are the themes. It was very different. This uh, particular experience was very different. So I call it a reflection on reflection, the analysis method. Uh, when I looked at my stories, as I told you, in different chunks of meanings, I found some recurring themes, but I am not going to discuss all the themes. I selected some few um, themes which are relevant, I thought, to this particular event. So when you're thinking about institutions, when you're thinking about ourselves as academics who are from other uh, countries, other cultures, um, key themes are like relationships, how we develop uh, relationships and what do we mean by relationships between ourselves and other academics and ourselves and peers and other professional services and all the other context and institutional context. When you are thinking about institutional con context, how do we make sense of the physical and conceptual? Like who is a good teacher? Who is a good uh, teaching uh, learning? Uh, what is a good teaching learning uh, environment? So these are conceptual kind of meanings 
we encounter in different universities. And I have, I have worked at the Institute of Education, Nottingham University, and, and at King's College London, and Liverpool Hope University. And all these cultures tell very different stories. Um, it, it is fascinating to go back to these stories because they are all very different. And, and, and then the question is the generalization of findings in, in research. That is, again, going back to this kind of methodologies and how rich they can be. And the other one is behavioral norms uh, within universities and the self, how self is going to interrogate all these aspects. So there were so many other themes, but I'm only using a slice of uh, the emergent themes here. So this is an example of this uh, practice of reflection on, on reflection. Uh, so this is an example of relationships. So I found in my stories, uh, I have written about relationships with my colleagues. And taking particular um, instances, I have thought, okay, authentic relationships can be there. And then there is open communication between colleagues. And also they, they welcome diversity, most of the colleagues. And build, uh, relationships are built on uh, trust. And they are flexible. So that was my first reflection. And then after a couple of weeks' time, I went to the same um, slices of stories. And I re reflected critically on them. And then I thought, ah, yes, authentic, yeah. But still, underneath the authenticity, the, these, these utterances, these, these poses, um, I have uh, written and how they, the, the uh, colleagues have, like for example, if I have written about a dialogue between myself and, a, and another colleague, how I reanalyze and then I found, no, actually it is not authentic, it, is, it looks superficial. And, and this is, these are the kind of new um, reflections I've, or perceptions I've developed. Now this is with regard to the same slices of stories. And this I found feminine. And, and this kind of discourse, I, I thought it can be masculine, again, within the Western uh, worldview. This is very different, not very, somewhat different in our culture. And then the third time when I tried to interrogate my reflection on reflection, another set of perceptions or another set of themes came up. And it was like, yeah, authentic, superficial, but actually relationships are complex. And then um, they can, there can be microaggression and clear racism in, in your dialogues with your colleagues, and we don't get them at the moment, you know, even after the second, uh, only after the second reflection on reflection, I realized, ah, yeah, this little dialogue uh, is um, microaggressive, or uh, this is pure racism. And we, we never talk about these things, especially in British higher education. I, I think that race and gender is, more than uh, gender, race is very, very silent. It has been made silent. And we never talk about these issues, and we, we don't dare talk about uh, these issues in our uh, work context. And there is actually, with, even though we are talking about diversity, we have this uh, and that, uh, all these things within. This, this again differs from university to university, person to person. But there is very clear white hegemony. Um, and then uh, relationships are very temporary. Like, for example, some people can come to you if they want to apply for a bid, and after that, um, the relationship is 
not there, especially if the if the bid is not uh, you didn't win it, uh, the relationship will be completely um, non-existing. So it is it was very interesting to see how colleagues uh, look at you as another colleague, as another woman. So I thought these are within the uh, Western concept. These these kind of uh, perceptions are masculine. But when we are thinking about masculinity, gender, whiteness, being brown or whatever, are ourselves where we come from. I, I come from Sri Lanka, uh, and it, it is very it is very close to India, but we have very different sets of values. Uh, so, so every time I talk about you know myself, people in the audience think, ah yes, you are from India, and I'm not. We are very similar and very different. So. Um, Whenever my experiences, now it is 16 years I have been here, every time we cross borders, we lose borders. We lose meanings and we create new meanings. So it is a kind of identification rather than creating a particular identity. I don't know whether I'm Sri Lankan, uh, whether I'm brown or whatever. It is, it is very complex. It is very complex in any, any person's identity process. But specifically when we cross borders, it, we don't have a real hope. I go back to my previous institutions in Sri Lanka. All the people have either got retired or there are different people, even the buildings are different. I'm completely a foreigner than at King's College here. So we, we, we are strangers in different places, in different, to different, in different degrees. And that is very difficult sometimes. It is very beautiful but very difficult. So this I really... Um, felt in my life. So we call something home within um, inverted commas and then we have an imagined home. This is London. I have been in very different places, Liverpool, Nottingham, London, London in different places. So I don't know where I can uh, call myself home. I have a home in Sri Lanka but I'm not living there. So it's not my home as well um, psychologically. So I always feel I'm going, uh, I keep going back forth all the time. Whenever something very critical happens at workplace, in my family, I always go back home and then come back here because I'm working here, I'm living here, my family is here. So it's, it's a very uh, difficult and, and beautiful uh, position to be. And when we are talking about ourselves, ourselves, especially myself, is uh, highly informed by Buddhism, Buddhist philosophy. In, philo in Buddhist philosophy, we talk about something called Gandhava. It is actually the Gandhava kind of uh, state I'm living every day. Gandhava means in, in English, it's very difficult to translate, but it's very similar to liminality. Um, you know, you don't know where you belong to. And then post-colonial history. When, when uh, I listen to stories, when I talk with my uh, friends, colleagues, you know, there are certain things which really talk to me as, as a person from post-colonial uh, country. And I get angry, but I, I don't show it. I get I feel sad, but I cannot express it. So that especially for post-coloniality, it's a huge uh, impact on people who uh, migrate to these kind of countries, Western countries, where you have been uh, colonized for certain years in the past. And then uh, I call uh, my identity is I don't know what my identity is, but it is an identification process. Therefore. I don't try to belong here or there. It is a loose kind. I, I try to, I'm happy belonging enough. 
I don't want to belong myself in this country, in this particular city, uh, in this particular form, because I have been moving around universities as well. So I'm very happy to be uh, uh, again moving to another place. And everywhere I have very good relationships as well. So it is uh, a learning process. And I, I found, oops, sorry. When we're thinking about uh, migrant academics, our, our learning journey is, is a kind of um, a wave. Sometimes we are in the right at the bottom, we go up, we become foreigner, and then sometimes some people accept us accepted foreigner or respected foreigner, and then again the next day, native, completely a native, or native life person. I will not be a native because I have a particular name, and that name is, um, Kind of it provides me with some sort of a social identity and I have a particular color and that color provides me with a particular identity so I will never be the native but I can be native like these are the identities people construct and sometimes I feel thinking about all this I'm no one just zero nothing um, now within this particular event I think what is important here is now what, what I have done within my photoethnography, how can that be related to uh, our, our issues, gender issues, ma muscular, very strong uh, higher education system, and sometimes it's very interesting. Um, uh, in the West, uh, man is kind of, I think, hero worshipped. I'm sorry to say this, because every time in, in the meetings, in gender uh, meetings, we always talk about, okay, now if you want to go somewhere in UK higher education, talk like a man, stand up like a man, and for, for example, in one of the uh, leadership uh, courses I have done, and they said, oh, don't worry, don't worry about, you know, doing this in front of your class, like a man, and, and straight uh, like this, and I was thinking, no. I want to be a woman. I'm, I'm a woman. I want. If I want to become a leader, I want to become feminine, um, woman-like. Uh, you know, we have a particular rhythm in our bodies, in our uh, in our language, in the discourse we use. We are very different from men. But my understanding, in my culture, women are very uh, strong. We never say be like a man. If you want to, it, it's a joke in my culture. <laughs> but the, if, yeah, uh, sorry, yeah, it is. And in my culture, men do not talk all the time at meetings. Here we say, oh, talk like uh, men at meetings. And I think, oh, really? I don't want to uh, because I don't want to be a man. I don't want to look like a man. In my culture, men are quiet. If men talk, start talk, talking a lot, they are considered as, as idiots. They, they are not suitable for leadership. So you, you see how the West perceive the other countries. They always think ah, in Asian countries women have no space. They are very kind of, they, they are housewives even if they are educated. But in my culture, I don't know how many of you know uh, who the first lady prime minister in the world is. Do you know? She is Sirima Bandaranaga. She comes from Sri Lanka. If you browse on the internet, her name never comes up. She is the first world lady prime minister. Uh, so we are very uh, woman-centered, uh, strong <coughs> culture. And when when our leaders ask us to, okay, now if you want to become, you know, this director, that director, you have to be like this. 
and, and it is a pathetic thing to say sometimes, very feminine, very nice ladies, as soon as they become leaders, whatever the leadership is, they get into a black dress, because that is what man uh, is wearing, the black color, and they change their woke, woke-like men. And I was thinking, no, this is not what we should be doing. We have to uh, kind of retrospect on our own um, abilities. We are women, we are very strong, we are the people who can, only people who can be mothers, right, that's a big thing, who, who can bear up so many things. So when we especially come to a different country and go through all these kind of um, difficulties, we, we can understand how strong we are. Uh, so, for example, even though we think male uh, uh, partner comes first, in my case, I came first, I did my PhD, he came after uh, me and, and he was dependent on me. So, uh, we have to, that is why I think we need to kind of interrogate, not just go all the time, okay, yes, now I want to be like a man, you know, men are very important, they are not, we are all equal. So, uh, it is very interesting for me. This is a democratic society, but we always uh, kind of hero worship the, the man. And, and it is, I'm, I'm just inviting you to rethink this if you think it, if it is suitable and if it is possible within our high education culture to do that. No, women, we get together. We can do like women, not like men. I think that kind of perception is very important. I, uh, I know Kim is writing very interesting stuff about uh, uh, mobile academics and she talks about tacit knowledge we bring and uh, identity uh, capital we bring when we are from different uh, cultures. So these are the things we should talk about, not the deficit approach, not only the difficulties we um, survive. So um, I always question why do we need to uh, relate power with man? We are more powerful if we get together, women. And I thought that uh, another important aspect of having uh, migrant academics, having people from other cultures in our UK higher education is that uh, we have different views. Like, for example, I came across this uh, uh, idea of Ubuntu. I don't know whether you're familiar with this. Ubuntu, uh, this is an African concept, uh, and this concept exactly is there in my culture, but we, I cannot uh, translate it or, or talk about it in, in a very convenient way like this. So I just borrowed it. Uh, one of my friends who is Sheila Traha, she's in South Africa at the moment. She's uh, doing research about Ubuntu currently. So um, the Western view about myself, the, the individuality. So Descartes say, I think, therefore I am. So it's me. But in Ubuntu and in, even in our culture, we always think, I am because we are. Because we is the most important category. And we think about community as, as a group. There are so many areas where we think about I but mainly we always think about we. And that is a very healthy way because it, it does not bring you stress. How about you? How about? It's like you have five minutes. Okay. So uh, this is what I thought is very important when it comes to um, doing research about gender, do, doing research about others. 
and I don't like to use the word othering even. Uh, and all the time, when, when I am highly involved in internationalization in whatever university I, I have been and even now, all the time they want me to talk about the difference, cultural difference. And this has been, you know, discussed uh, about, you know, over decades and decades and nothing good has come out with this, this discourse of difference. So we need to think about alternative ways of perceiving international students, international people. We are all similar and different. Even if you take two people from your from your own um, nationality or ethnicity, they are very different. Think about you and your siblings. How different are you from your siblings? How different are you from your mother? So we need to highlight all the realities. And in, in, in a way, the higher education research, what we do today is superficial to a certain extent, not 100%. Not so what we as women should do is kind of question these things, question the norm and change it. If, uh, if we don't question it, if we don't interrogate the, the extent knowledge, if we accept it as it is, we cannot change, we cannot move forward. So um, it's, it's, that is what I wanted to convey today. Um, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much.